You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Amen to that. Let's remain standing in reverence for God as I pray. Uh, before we open up the scriptures, pray with me. Don't just listen to me pray. Pray with me now as I bring us uh, straight into the presence of God through the powerful medium of prayer. God, as we sing these songs of your glory, as we sing these songs of our salvation, we can scarcely believe that the God of the universe, the one who is holy and the one who has all authority and all power and all dominion, we can hardly believe that you would choose to reveal yourself to us and call us, Lord, out of this world into your glorious presence, out of the, out of the clutches of the enemy, into the embra- loving, embracing arms of a heavenly Father. We can't believe that you'd save us, Lord. We know the depths of our own hearts, and every one of us in this room is the same. We are sinners. We are prone to be rebellious against you. We're prone to want to do our own thing. We're prone to want to disregard you and live life without you. And yet, God, and let, yet God in your love and in your mercy, you haven't let us do that. You've opened our eyes to see, our hearts to believe and understand, and and you've drawn us close to yourself through Jesus Christ and the power of the cross. Wow. You're the greatest thing that ever happened to us, Lord. We have hope in this life. We have eternal life here and now living within us. And yet, God, there's, we, we know we have the hope of eternity too. We know that when this life is over, there's more to come. We get to spend eternity with you. Those who love you get to spend eternity with you forever in heaven. What an alternative to the reality of where we're all going. We were all going to hell. And yet, by your grace and mercy, you rescued us that we have the hope of heaven, eternity with you. Thank you, Lord. You're truly the greatest person we've ever met. The greatest thing that's ever happened to us, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you you've given us, revealed to us yourself and your word. You've given us the path of life and the path of victory through your word. God, I pray today as we open up your word, we wouldn't just discount what we're going to hear here today. We wouldn't go off into Never Never Land and start thinking of something else. This is a message you have for us today, God, an important one. Whether we've come just to appease a friend or whether we've come after having a bad week or whether we've come eager and expectant, God, we know this is a message for all of us today. So by your Holy Spirit, Lord, zone us in. I, I, I can't make this come alive in any heart, not even mine, but you can, oh God. In your mercy and love today, would you make this word come alive in every heart for your glory? And together we say, amen. Amen. I invite you to go ahead and take a seat. If you're visiting with us today because of child dedications, welcome here. Uh, we're just doing basically what we always do, apart from a little section on child dedications. We, are, we worship God at our church, and we open up the word, and we want to hear from God. Uh, we are not overly smart people. We are, we are um, in need of enlightenment. We're in, in need of someone to show us the way, and where do we find that? We find that in God's word. So open up your, your Bible if you have one. If you don't have a Bible today, if you come to visit someone, you don't have a Bible, we'd be happy to give you a Bible. There's ushers coming down the, the aisle today. So put your hand up high, and we'll give you a Bible. You can follow along. I don't want you thinking this is, this is some, some goofy guy at the front's idea. This is God's idea is what I'm trying to tell you today. And so follow along. And if you don't have one at home, you got your early Christmas gift. Take it home, uh, read it, and, and, you, I know, and pray and ask God to show you himself. And I know he will uh, do that. He promises he'll do that. So actually, we're not going to be an ax today. I know you're already digging for ax. We're not going to be an ax today. Is that okay? Is it okay to switch it up once in a while? 
Some of you are like, no, I already read ahead. It's not okay. It's okay. I know I'm kind of one of those type A's too that doesn't usually do this, but honestly, as I got into my study this week, I was like, this isn't the message for our people this week. And I really sense that the Holy Spirit is something different for us. God is something different for us today. So we're actually going to be in Deuteronomy. So this is an easier one to find, especially if you're new with us. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, fifth book. So just like just cycle through till you find it. And Deuteronomy chapter six today is where we're going to be. Actually, the pastor's already read for us. I didn't know it was going to be, but Matt and Chris stole my thunder. They stole my passage. So glad we're on the same page with somebody in our church. Matthew, or sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where we are. Here's, here's where we've been as a church, if you're just joining us. We've been on this, this journey through the book of Acts, uh, understanding how God started the church and what God's purpose is for us. And, and we've learned already that, that God has a greater purpose for us here on this earth than to live for ourselves. It's to live for God and live for his glory. And since January, we've been talking about being on mission. And the reality is, if it was just about us coming to know God and, and understanding Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then the moment we say amen after a salvation prayer, we'd be ushered to the presence of God. But we haven't been. Why? Because God has a purpose for us here on earth. And our purpose now, after we come to know Jesus Christ, is to live our lives in such a way that other people will also be drawn to the truth, get this, not a myth, the truth of Jesus Christ, that, that others would also want to share in eternal life and have the eternal destiny of heaven. That's our purpose here on earth. And so we're getting into that as a church. We realize that, man, it's not about what happens in here necessarily. The only thing that happens in here is also what happens out there. So we've been getting out, trying to share Jesus Christ with all who will hear, believing that this is the greatest message we could ever share. So we talk about the Leafs, and, and you know, that's a fail usually, right? Like we're still waiting for them to blow out, blow out this year. We can talk about the weather, but the greatest thing we talk about is Jesus Christ. And so we're getting on that page, and I'm excited to see us getting on that page, and people taking steps of faith to actually talk about Jesus outside. And yet as I prepared another sermon basically on that, because that's what Acts is, I just stirred in my heart that in the midst of being on mission, here's a couple things we can't miss in our zeal and our zest to share Jesus with others. Here's, here's where mission starts for us. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Here's what we can't miss in our zeal to go out and share Jesus Christ. We can't miss the mission of Jesus in our own hearts and our own homes. Get it? I don't want you guys getting this place where it's like, oh yeah, 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 we're on mission, we're on mission, we're on mission. So busy about worrying about everybody else that you miss the reality of the gospel in your own heart and in your own home. Here's what God wants first and foremost for all of us on mission. What's our life purpose about? Uh, knowing and loving Jesus Christ. That's where it all starts. God is not so much interested in what you can do for him or what he can accomplish through your life as he is as ensuring that you are living in a loving relationship with himself. Number one in our hearts always ought to be our relationship with the Lord. And closely behind that, number two on our list of like mission for the day, number one, love God. Number two is invest and disciple my own family in the things of the Lord. God instituted the family. The family is his idea. It's important to God. And, and he gave us our families as a way to reflect his love and his glory to the world around us. And so we get out there on mission. We miss the, the reality of the gospel in our hearts and our own family. Guess what? At the end of this whole life, after all the things we've accomplished for the Lord, we might get a great big giant F on our spiritual report card. Wouldn't that stink? You know why I think it's so big on my heart? I think it's something I need to hear. I tell you all the time, I'm just like you guys. I could be sitting there hearing the same message and I, 
It's something I need to hear. I, I think what stirred me on to think about this stuff is my, my son just turned 13. And he's a teenager now. I'm not looking forward to the next four years, that's for sure. But I look at him and, and, and I'm thinking, like, where did my little boy go? He's gone. He can almost take me now. Not quite, but he can almost take me now. And the startling reality of like, <gasps> have I been so busy running around trying to do all kinds of things for God that I've missed a cycle of my own family and the things, Lord, I don't think I have, but you know that, those moments that come to you? And I'm thinking about this, we get so busy running around doing all kinds of things, don't we? Like, like my week is like, it's, it's packed. People say, can, can, can you want to come over sometime? I don't know when we can. But we get so busy running around doing all kinds of things that, that thinking we're on mission for God, we might even miss the whole reality of we've got to stop and make sure the, the mission is impressed, the, the glory of God is impressed deep upon our hearts. And so Deuteronomy 6 brings us to this place, the foundation for all mission. And it says this, starting at verse 4. Coming back to the basics of what mission's all about. The greatest commandment is a little subtitle above chapter 6, right at the top there. Here's the greatest thing God wants from us in our lives. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. What words do you talk about? The words from Deuteronomy 5, the Ten Commandments, the things that God want, the ways that God wants us to live. Impress them upon your hearts. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and, and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your head and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Simple verses, but I want to help you understand what this fully means for us. I want you to write this down in your little piece of paper. We give you those sermon outlines so you can write things down. You don't have to write things down, but I'm going to say a lot of things in the next 45 minutes, and I'm going to talk quick probably. It's just the way it goes in our church. So you might want to write it down so you don't forget it. If something impacts you. Here's, here's the first thing I want you to write down in your, in your notes. My life makes the most difference for God. Don't we all want to make a difference for God, right? Our life makes the most, the most difference for God when, number one, only two points today. Number one, I love God with all that I am. A lot of things you're going to miss. Don't miss this today. My life makes the most difference for God when I love God with all that I am. Loving God is really the, the, the engine and the fuel for living for God on mission. You try to live out on mission with a heart for God, without a heart for God, it's like sitting in a, in a shell of a car and expecting to go somewhere. It's really what God's telling us in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Here's, here's what it says. Hear, O Israel. So hear these words. And when, when, when God says hear in the Old Testament, he's, he's, he's not just talking about letting the words kind of rattle around in, the, in your eardrums. Hear means implicitly to also obey. You know you're hearing if you're actually doing. We tell our kids that all the time, right? Don't just listen to me. Follow through. And so God's saying hear, like hear, have ears to hear, but have ears to hear in a way that's going to impact your heart. Hear this, O Israel. This is the first thing you need to hear. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is an important text, uh, not just to the Jewish people. This is, the Jewish people consider this one of the choicest portions of Scripture, a fundamental tenet of one's faith, so much so that they say this twice a day. Not because they have to, like, oh, I better say this twice a day. It's so important because they, they want to, because to understand the, the, the reality of what this part of this verse is saying is, is I want to say this twice a day. Never forget that this is a reality of God. This is the thing that really fuels us to really love God. The Lord our God. 
the Lord is one. The Lord. It's not even talking about the Trinity here. Some, some people make this about the Trinity, and it might have an implication of the Trinity, but that's not ultimately what this is talking about. The Lord, Jehovah, the God of the universe. Look, look, look whose God it is. The Lord, whose God is it? Read in your book. You can, you can read it out loud. In our church, you can talk sometimes, and I like that. It makes me know you're with me, and I'm not just up here talking and ranting about whatever. You know? so, so the Lord, our God, the Lord, sorry, I just said it for you. That's a bad teacher, right? He gave you the, the answer to the test. The Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And, and here's a literal translation of this. Our God is the one and only God. Our God, the, the, the God of the universe, the God who created everything, the God who, who right now sits governing the universe, the, the one who has all authority and all power and all dominion, the, the all-knowing one, the ever-present one, the all-powerful one, this is our God. The thing this is for the Jewish people, they're like, man, like, like, why did he choose us? Stop trying to figure out why he chose us. Let's just celebrate that he did choose us and he's our God. We, today, what's our motivation for loving God? The fact that God chose, get this, God chose us to reveal, he chose to reveal his son to us, Jesus Christ. He chose to send his son to die on the cross for us and and when we see that, we understand that, we're like, wow, why would you do that, God? I don't deserve that. Why would you open my eyes to see? Here's the reality. Like, I don't know why he'd choose any one of us to open our eyes, but here's the reality. It doesn't matter. He has. And so what do we do in response? Is we, we stop and glory in the fact that we have a God who is for us and not against us. Here's what the Jewish people do. They say this. It's called the Shema. They say this twice a day. And, and this is kind of the saying behind it. They say this. Blessed are we who every morning and evening can say these words. The Lord our God is one. When was the last time you stopped to think about how awesome it is if you're saved today, if you know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, how awesome it is to know that the God, not just like a God, not just like the best of the gods, like the God is your God. I think sometimes we plow through life so quickly we don't stop and remember just the simple reality that we have a God who is awesome. We have a God who is unparalleled. We have a God who loves us, not distant from us, but a God who loves us. You know what the greatest thing he wants for us in this life is simply this, to know him and to love him back? You know what God wants our main mission to be in life? To be able to see the reality of who he is and to love him back? And when you see the reality of who he is, it's not that hard. Open up your Bible and read about who God is. We get so caught up in all the, the things that we think are negative because the culture doesn't negative, but just look at the character of God. It's not hard to love God. Here's the call on us as believers. Here's where our mission starts to, to aim to love God with all of our heart, soul, and might. And what does it mean to love God with all of our heart? Uh, from within the heart, it says in Proverbs 4, 23, the springs of life flow. To love God with all of our heart means to, to, to aim to love God. Ask God to help us love him with all of our will and all of our desires, will being the, the, the stubborn part of our human nature, and all of our desires and passions and affections, even our perceptions and our thoughts, to love him with everything within us. To also love him with all of our soul. The soul refers to one's whole being as a living person. To love God with all of our personality and personhood. Everything about us is to declare simply Yahweh as our, not just the God, but our God. 
and to also love him with all of our might. This word might is literally translated as the adverb very in the Old Testament 298 times. To love God, basically one, one scholar says with all of our veriness. What in the world does that mean? The Greek translation is power. The Aramic translation is wealth. And together they show us that the strength of a person is not simply who he is, but all that he has at his disposal. So it's just a call to love God, not just with our, our, our emotions, yeah, that's part of it, but with our, not just with our physical muscle, to love him with our, with our physical muscle, but with everything we have available for honoring God, which includes our family and our, our homes or our dorm rooms or our apartments and our, our pets and our wardrobes and our tools and our cell phones and our movies and our music and our computers and our time. That's what God wants us to do most of all in life. We miss this mission. You know what? We miss everything else. We run around like chickens with their head cut off doing all the good things for God and miss the reality of God's heart for us just to, to love him. We miss out on God's mission for us. Here's what desiring God says this means to us. I'm gonna kind of break it down in a second here and drive it into our hearts. It means that the covenant love we're called to must be wholehearted, life-encompassing, community-impacting, exclusive commitment to our God. See those, those shirts that say the people who are so proudly property of? Their favorite sports team. We, we, in our hearts, the, the tattoo property of God, and I wear that proudly. I just want to live my life for the glory of God. And This is the foundation of our lives as believers. More than being successful, more than having esteem with others, more than being a good parent or even a good child, and more than providing for your family, more than being a nice person, doing nice things, and even serving the Lord in ministry. You know what he wants? He wants us to love him. Above all else, God just wants us to love him. He's created us his image, right? So it's really no different than what we want. People we love, what do we want? Do we want them to do stuff for us? Maybe sometimes, but all we want the most, we want them to love us. How many wives have said to their husbands, like, I appreciate the flowers, like, they're nice and all, but even more than the flowers, you know, I want you to pay attention to me and just love me and, and cherish me. How many, how many wives have said to their husbands? Right? Kids to parents? You know, thanks for the three square meals a day and, and thanks for dressing me and, and giving me all that I have and for teaching me right and wrong, but what I want from a parent more than just... Here's how you do life, son. Here's how you do life, daughter. What do you want most from a parent? Is you, want, you want them to, to, to value you and give you their attention. And, and doesn't every kid want that? Just, just love me. What about friends? Friends just don't want us to use them for what I can get from them or when it's convenient. Friends, ultimately, if they're a good friend and they care about you what they want, they want you to love them. That's what God's telling us. I just want you to love me. Above everyone and everything else, one of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5, verse 7. What's one of the Ten Commandments? Here it is. You shall have no other gods before me. God wants you to love him jealously. God is jealous and zealous for your love. Isn't it bad to be jealous for something? Think about it, though. If someone's jealous for your love, what does that mean? That means they love you, they love you tremendously. If a husband ever let his wife go and flirt with other men, you'd be like, does he really love her? No, there's no holy jealousy, right? If a wife says, wherever your husband says, we'll hang out with somebody else. It's okay with me. It's like, really? If you really love them, there's a holy jealousy, is there not? So God has for you, he has a holy jealousy for your heart. He doesn't want any other idols getting in the way of your love for God. 
I'm not talking romantic love here. We we somehow take this word love and and apply it to the modern day, like radio song. Yeah, there's emotion in our love, but I'm not talking romantic love. I'm talking about like as a a son loves a father, as a daughter loves a mother, um, as a friend loves a friend, like love God because Jesus died for me and took my penalty that I deserved. I am forever bound to him with gratitude and indebtedness to simply love him. What what can we do to to show God we love him? We, We can't do anything really... How can we repay him? We can't, but we can just love him. It's really what Jesus told us in the New Testament, Matthew 22, 37 to 39. He says, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. How come he uses mind in the New Testament? Doesn't he use mind in the Old Testament? Because really in the Old Testament, the, the word heart really encompassed the mind. It started in the mind. Called to love God. Above everything else. Above everybody else. I know many of you are thinking, well, how can we love somebody we can't see? How can we love somebody we've never met? The internet shows us how we can do that, right? And people like fall in love with people they've never met before. Well, I read their profile. I saw their picture. Surely I love them. Well, God's given us his profile in the word. He's shown us a picture of who he is in the word of God. You can actually love somebody you've never met. Just by simply opening up the word of God and seeing God's character and seeing how, how he interacts with, with humanity and seeing all of his glory and all of his grace. I want to encourage you this, brothers and sisters, don't get running around so much in life that you end up being like Martha, doing all kinds of things for God, but I'm on mission, but I'm on mission, and not being Mary who's simply sitting at the feet of Jesus and communing with the one that she loves. How do we love God? Through the word, through prayer, through obedience. I know this should be an easy thing for us. We have to be reminded a lot, right, that this is the most important thing. Maybe you don't. I do. All right, pastor, I've heard this sermon over and over. Love God, love God, love God. Because if you miss it, you miss it all. Think about this. If God is this great, and if God has done this much for us, what keeps us from loving God? I was thinking about this this week as I was studying this. I'm like, so, so I get it in my head, but what keeps me from really loving God? I understand all the theological truths about God the best way I can in my limited mind, but, but what keeps me from really loving God? Here's three things I think that keep us from really loving God and, and really giving God our whole hearts. The first one, you can write this down, is this. It's a misunderstanding of who he is. I'm not supposed to love God, but it's just so hard. Well, maybe we've missed who he really is. We sometimes come to think of God as this. He's the sheriff on the side of the U.S. highway with the gun overseeing the chain gang, right? And Don't step out of line or I'm going to shoot you. You have to respect me. I'm the authority. That, that's the way we sometimes think of God and and. But that's not who God is. God is a heavenly father. God is a heavenly father who loves us and desires a relationship with us and is a God of mercy and a God of generosity, a God of compassion. God's a father more than a prison guard. If you've come to think God is more the one who's gonna enforce the rules, yes, he sure does. Preside over the universe in a holy way, meaning that he doesn't tolerate the sin stuff. 
but he's the father to those that he has rescued. Don't miss the fatherly heart of God and your understanding of God. Here's the second thing I think we do. We have a misconception of his intentions. We think that God's chasing us around because he's the bully of the schoolyard and he's gonna, he's gonna you know, maybe take our life or steal our life or limit our life and he's gonna take what you have or harm you and make, make you do what you don't wanna do. That's not God, that's the enemy, that's the devil. Amazing how many people walk through life with the wrong view of God and somehow the enemy's twisted view of God. Here's who God is. He's a protective father that comes to rescue you and set you free from the bullies, including the biggest bully, Satan himself. And God's greatest goal is to not harm you. His greatest goal is to get you to your eternal home safely, to bless you in, in, in ways that we can never imagine, to treat you like his own, to give you a vibrant spiritual life, to give you life on the inside. A life that reflects him and, and honors him. God is for you, not against you. So you might even need to hear that today. God is for you, not against you. You've grown up with this idea that God is against you. God's not against you. He's for you. Jesus, who'd send their son to die for somebody they were against? God, because he loves you. Here's a, here's a third one, misplaced priorities. Just a nice way of saying we put idols in our life. Don't have any other idols before me, and how often do we allow idols to creep in? And I say I'm loving God, but then we add a word to the end of that, but. But my family's so important to me. It's good that your family's important to you, but, but God is preeminent over family. But my job's just in a busy season, so really, I, I love God, but I'm putting it on the back burner for a little while. My job's gonna be my focus, or my business is in an interesting place, or like, but I have all these desires in my heart, and, and I just, my bucket list, or all the things I wanna accomplish. And, and so what do we do? We, we love God, but. But it's almost playoffs, and after playoffs, I'll give my heart to the Lord, and once my team's out, or, That's probably the most common one in this room, maybe. Misplaced priorities is these things that are important. They're good things. Idols aren't always bad things. They're good things. We take good things. We place them in the most important place. Instead of the most important thing, we look at good things as the most important thing. Pastors can do this. Got to run this church. Got to make sure it's taken care of. Got to, got to, got to. All these demands, all these pressures. Got to, got to, got to. Wanna, wanna, wanna. Today, you know what God wants to remind us of? Greatest investment we can make with our whole lives is simply to love God. To be like Mary and sit at the feet of Jesus and know him through his word and spend time in prayer and spend time cultivating the life of God in us. We miss the love of God and the loving God in this life. We miss out on our mission. God is the number one priority in our lives. Mission accomplished if we love God. So Jesus is saying in Matthew, if we love God, mission accomplished. Everything else flows from there. Even, even mission flows from loving God. Ask yourself today, like, where am I at with my love for God? Am I like at a one, zero, three, five, ten? You're aiming for, we're aiming for tens. If we realize that we're not really loving God, 
Stop right now and ask God to help you love him. You can't love God on your own strength. Uh, Ask God to forgive you. If there's an idol that's taken over the place of God, ask God to forgive you. Ask God to give you a square view of who he is that you could live out this calling. God doesn't command us to do anything. He's not gonna give us the ability to do. Ask God to help you in this. God's delighted to hear that prayer. God can help me love you more. No, not today. Yes, absolutely. I've been waiting for you to ask. Love God. I could see a whole sermon on this, but the passage goes on. That's point number one. Number one mission in life, love God. What's our number one mission in life? What's our number one mission in life? Don't just say that now. Like, Go home this week and make that your goal Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You'll find church will change next Sunday if that's your, your goal. Here's number two. Here's number two. My life makes the most difference for God when, I'm, when I love God with all that I am. Praying that for my heart, praying that for your heart. Here's number two. My family is thriving in God's word. Here's the number two place. God wants you to invest your time and energy and heart. It's in your family and teaching them the word of God. Mission starts in the heart. Mission starts in the home. Look what it says here in verse Verse five, or verse six, and these words that I command you today, all the words of the Bible, he's talking 10 commandments, we have the full written word right in front of us, everything God wants us to know and know about him and to live by, it's all in the word of God. We don't have to find somebody else who has some extracurricular stuff to add to this, it's all right here. These words, he says, these words shall be on your heart. See how the, even in the Old Testament, it wasn't about just exterior doing, it was God's intention always was to be an interior heart thing drill these things into your hearts and not just into your hearts but verse 7 you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates bottom line is this bottom line is this for us God doesn't want us to have a personal relationship that just stays personal he wants it to to expand the first place it expands it extends to is your family God and his ways are passed down from generation to generation it says in his word not as like a tradition okay here's what we do kids this is our tradition but as a, a living loving relationship with God God's heart is for the family where did this idea of family come from? It wasn't like we woke up one day and we're like, hey, you know what? I think it'd be good if like two guys, a guy and a girl got together and we had kids. That, that's not how it happened. God ordained that from the beginning. Read Genesis. He loves the family. He instituted the family. He fights for the family. His desire is that your relationship, first and foremost, spill out into your family. So generations from now, the greatest legacy you leave your family is your faith. Of all the things God wants you to pass down to your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids, it's a love for God and his word. More than grandma's wedding ring and dad's coin collection, whatever family heirloom is in your family that you can't wait to pass down. You know what? God wants your mission to be not, those things are good to pass down. We have some of those things that we cherish, but but you know the thing that God wants you to pass down more than anything else? It's a love for God and his word. Think back to our own lives and I shared with you before the, it's a defining moment in our life and so I share it often. It's the the moment my father-in-law passed away and we watched him take his his last breath here on earth and and he he had much you know the thing we cherish the most of what he left us is his faith 
It's a deep love for God and his word. I, last words I ever remember him saying ever. This impacted me so deeply before he went into, he had cancer, before he went to a coma and then eventually took his last breath. He said this, God's been so good to me. God's been so good to me my whole life. I just love God. We focus on teaching our kids all kinds of things. And, and look what it says here, though. Teach them diligently. I pray that that's our legacy, is that, that our mission, that at the end of our lives, our mission will be accomplished because our kids will say the same thing. Man, the greatest thing dad taught me, the greatest thing mom taught me was to love God because nothing else matters after that. None these material things don't matter. I could have an inheritance second to none, but ultimately at the end of the day, who cares? Pray that our legacy, our lives be focused on living out mission not just leaving the house, I'm gonna go out and live mission now, but coming in the house every night, I'm living mission for Jesus Christ. We focus on, it says to diligently teach them to our kids, right? Diligently, like, like what's someone who's diligent? They love something, they're convinced of something, they're gonna do whatever it takes to get it done. That's someone who's diligent, right? Someone who's diligent in their studies, like, don't talk to me right now, I'm studying. Someone who's diligent in their job, like they're committed. So, someone who's diligent in teaching their kids, like this is my main purpose in my house is to instill a love for God and a love for his word in my house, in my kids. Thinking about this, like, we're so diligent at teaching our kids all kinds of things. You know, this, is, this, is, this is kind of a little section for parents, you know. I know not everyone's family, no one has family here, not everyone's in this parent thing, and you know, you can apply this to your spiritual family, these principles all apply, but right now let me speak for the last half of this message to parents. I've never preached on this in five and a half years, it's time. It's time. We focus so much on teaching our kids all kinds of things, don't we? How to groom themselves, how to be polite, how to behave in public, that's a for sure. Sports, hope they're like me, or better, piano lessons, and Cooking and cutting the grass. I couldn't wait to teach Zach how to cut the grass. Now I'm done for life. <laughs> Told him that's why I had kids, man, so I didn't have to cut the grass anymore. Take out the garbage. That's it. It's the only reason. Teach him how to walk and how to skate. We already got Nick these little skates. We want to teach him how to skate. We want to teach him how to read and how to write and how to do math. We want to teach him how to tell a good joke because Maya tells bad jokes all the time. I'm trying to teach, tell, tell a funny joke once. Right, we're always like teaching them, teaching them, teaching them, but are we teaching what matters most is my question to us today. This is a command from God. This is a, this is a privilege and a calling of God. We teach them what really matters most because Mark 8, 36 applies to our kids too. What is it gonna profit our kids to gain the whole world yet forfeit their souls? What is it going to profit our kids to, to gain the whole world yet forfeit our souls? So we, we teach them all these things and we, we, we push them through life and they get to university, they, 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 they actually graduate university, they get a good job and, and they're on top of the world, they become prime minister of Canada per se and, or they become in the NHL, or they become the scholar of all scholars, they solve this disease and that disease and they do all these good things yet they miss out on Jesus. Guess what they miss out on? Everything, they forfeit their souls. They just don't just forfeit their souls, they forfeit blessings. Look at Psalm 119, verses one to three, and these, these spur me on. I want my kids, who doesn't want their kids to be blessed? Everyone here want their kids to be blessed? Come on, put your hand up with you. Everyone want their kids to be blessed? Yes. Here, here's what it is. Blessed are those whose walk is way is blameless, 
who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. Happy are they. Favor with God they find. That's what blessed means. Happy are they. True happiness is found here. You want your kids to be happy? Blessed happiness, finding favor with God. Are those who seek them with their whole heart. Who do no wrong. Not perfect. We don't have perfect kids. We know that for sure, right? They don't have perfect parents, so they're off the hook. But who walk in his ways. Who seek God and walk in his ways. We're called to diligently teach our kids the things of God. This, this diligence is, is in biblical and moral education. That's the actual application. This is in biblical and moral education. Some take this passage to mean, okay, this means that I'm, I told you everyone was supposed to be a homeschooler. I told you. Sorry, sorry, homeschoolers. It's a good thing you're doing, but it's not. This isn't a command of everyone to be a homeschooler. This is to take seriously your God-given responsibility as parents to be the primary Bible teacher and moral God of your kids. To be the driving factor behind the spiritual life of your kids. So I'm just gonna say it plainly, like, like this is for moms and dads, but dads, you're called to be the archbishop of your home. Don't make your kids call you archbishop. That's a little goofy. But you're called to be archbishop of your home. You're the one who should be getting your kids up every Sunday morning to get to church. Oh, it was a late night last night and got these things going and our team's playing at noon. And This is your responsibility, dads, to make sure that your kids have the right priorities from day one. Moms, you have a vital role in that. You're not just sitting on the sidelines going like, yeah, go dad. You're his helper, you're his partner. This, 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 is, this is part of your calling is to help him in this, to su- support him and submit to him. And, and your husband shouldn't be dragging you out of bed last on a Sunday morning. But it's not just about the hour that happens here. So many parents I've seen in today's day and age, they, they will, well, we go to church on Sunday, that's good enough. I leave my kids' spiritual development to that hour on a Sunday morning. And they go to hour of youth group, and so if you're leaving your kids full spiritual and moral development upon this hour in our Harvest Kids, and upon Mark and all the Harvest Kids leaders, guess what? That's two hours out of, out of a whole week. How many hours is in a week? I didn't even stop to calculate. I will for next service. Lots. Thank you, Brett. There's a scholar right there. Lots. <laughs> Brett's a mathematician at heart. Like when you go home, your responsibility is on the way home. What did we learn from church today? How do we apply this? You're picking your kids up from youth. How, what, what did you learn? And the answer you're going to get is nothing. Oh, good, he learned nothing. Turn the radio up. Saves me the hard conversation. Dig. Of course it was about Jesus. We get it. What does that mean to your heart? What, what did the pastor say that applies to you today? You're responsible for Biblical education, the moral development of your kids. I get it. Bedtime is chaos. Every home is chaos at bedtime. As far as I know, anyways, I tell myself this to appease myself. Every home is like this. Of course, this is crazy. Someone taught our youngest, I think it was my wife, taught our youngest to scream every night at bedtime. <laughs> you ever seen a guy go to the penalty box on a, in a hockey game? He's mad about it. He throws everything out of the penalty box. That's what Nick does. He's like, throws everything out of his crib. And it's, it's to try and do like Bible study at night with our kids, it's, it's like you got to fight for it. Sometimes the kids need to sacrifice a little bit of sleep to get the Bible education in. 
Morning before school, it's the best way to start a morning as a family, diligently in the word of God, is, is to, to pray together. And, and honestly, like I'm as guilty as you are, we get so busy that we're like, okay, out the door, praying for you. It's not the same as stopping to rally the kids and they get in a circle and pray. Taking the time. Be creative in how you can get the Bible into your kids. But don't miss this. It's your responsibility as parents to do it. The Bible says it right here. I'm not telling you this because I want to somehow absolve myself and our church of responsibility. We're here to help you and come alongside you. We're going to diligently do whatever we can. But look what it says here. You, who's that talking about? Parents shall teach them diligently to your children. You. It's your mandate, it's your calling, it's your privilege to love your kids and teach them the truth of Jesus Christ. This is the greatest thing you can do in your kids' life is to teach them the truth of Jesus Christ and to drill that word deep in their hearts, do Bible memory with them and get them going early. My, my daughter has special needs and somehow she can still memorize Bible verses. Just saying. Can't make it past grade one at 11 years old, but she can somehow memorize Bible verses. I can't. How many else was like, I can't do that? Yes, you can. Can I say it gently and lovingly? Yes, you can. <laughs> can I say it more sternly? Yes, you can. We got, we got as parents, honestly, we, we got to stop with the excuses. I can come up with a list of 45 too. Our kids' souls matter. This is a battle for the soul of kids. This is a battle for our kids' souls. Listen to this quote I read from Answers in Genesis, and this will, this will spur you on, I think, to, to get the, the reality of what I'm talking about here, what God's heart for this. Many families today, it says, are in deep trouble because they have not been diligently teaching their children. Not every family who's, who's in deep trouble has been guilty of this, but many families are. Instead, what they've done is they've left their education to the schools, to the media, to the museums, to the national parks, even Christian schools. Leave to the Christian school, and I can come home and just hang out. We've often heard this, I'm not going to shove the Bible down my kids' throats. When they're old enough, they can decide for themselves. Here's the problem with that. Some parents forget that while they're not teaching their kids the Bible, the world is shoving, shoving its evolutionary, humanistic, atheistic, or new age religion, my, the brackets here are mine, and everything else down their throats. Our greatest ministry is not like when you leave the house, it's when you come in the house. We've got to teach our kids God's word. If you don't know how, like we have resources that we're going to put online. Uh, this Tuesday, we're going to put resources online. We've had them at Harvest Kids at the, the desk there every week for a long time, and no one used them. So we're like, all right, well, no point setting them up every week, but you need to use them. Find our Harvest Kids page, and we'll have resources up there that you can start with. And, and to, it's, it's, it's not that difficult. You've got to make the investment. If you don't know the Bible, and your parent, like, I don't know the Bible, well, there's your first place to start. We're called to teach our kids diligently, and it's not just at home, though. Before bed and at the dinner table, I, I think our Dutch family set us a good example in the dinner devotions thing that some, of us, uh, some people in our church have never grown up with. Just every day at supper, doing devotions together. Read the Bible, pray together. That's a great, uh, great thing to do. Not a tradition to pass down, but a reality of living out the scriptures. We're to teach our kids the word of God. You know what else we're to do is not just teach them at home, though. Look where it says to teach them. Where are we supposed to teach them this? You shall talk to them when you sit in your house. That's what we're talking right now. Also this, when you walk by the way, so as you're going to wherever you're going, as you're coming home or, or going from school, as you're going to all your crazy things you run around to, karate and soccer and piano lessons and, and just running errands, uh, well, here's a good thing to do. Take your kids with you. 
Saturdays, and you know you're busy, and you're like, I got to run errands today. Guess what? Why don't you come with me? I don't want to go. Perfect. Come on. What are we going to do? We're going to talk. Oh, Dad, this is painful. It's not that bad. Take them with you. As you walk by the way, as you lie down, as you're like laying on the couch, tired, talk to your kids when you rise up. You know what this is basically teaching us? All these couplets, verse seven is couplets when you sit, when you stand, when you, when you lie, when you rise. It's basically saying this, this is a constant thing for us. It's not like oh, today's a day off. This is constantly, we're not just looking for an hour Sunday morning. This is every time, every place, and every activity, whether it's routine or mundane or thrilling or a vacation. These are teachable moments, not just in the word of God, but, the, but in the ways of God. It's one thing to teach the word of God. Where the best classroom of life is, it's not in the house. You know where it is? It's on the street. It's on the street. God's word speaks to every facet of life and we have to stop and look at every opportunity. We have to have this mindset that every opportunity is a teachable moment for our kids and in a way to school them in the ways of God. Every opportunity. Teaching our kids to pray. Your kids are probably like mine before, before. Can you say prayer for today's meal? Yep. Thank you for this food, amen. Nope. Stop and really pray this time. Remember, engage your mind. Those are teachable moments. Those are teachable moments. What about school? You need to know what's going on in your kid's life after school. Have conversations, and, and as things come up, stop and use that as a teachable moment. Okay, that kid did this to you in the schoolyard. What did you do next time that kid does this? Oh, that, that cell phone was past you, that image on it this time. What do you do next time when that happens? How do you defend that kid who's being picked on when teachable moments happen every single day if you're looking for them, if you want them to be teachable moments, if we're not lazy parents? After sporting events on the way home, not just like, hey, you kicked the ball well, you shot the ball well, you volleyed the ball well, but, but hey, you know, you know, that moment in that game, I could see you get a little frustrated, uh, handled it well today, son, or today wasn't a great day, son or daughter. Like, like how, do we, how do we teach our kids how to handle failure in the moment? Teachable moments all the time. They come up in our lives all the time. Teaching the kids the word of God. Someone, someone's got to teach our kids what, it, what true sexuality is because the world's not teaching them that. Someone's got to teach our kids what the word entitlement means. Someone's got to teach our kids that life's not all about them. It's not like the world revolves around me. God, our world revolves around God. Someone's got to teach our kids that. And those are the teachable moments that we have when, when, when selfishness come up and pride come up. and the, You know how it goes. Someone's got to teach our kids right from wrong. Uh, culture's not teaching them that anymore. Whatever you feel good about, I feel good about a lot of things, let's be honest, that aren't of God. Teachable moments come in all shapes and sizes. We have all kinds of teachable moments in our houses. You know where a lot of my teachable moments come from? When they see their dad screwing up. It's so humbling, isn't it? Son, you got it. You don't do that, Dad. We're not talking about Dad right now. <laughs> you know the greatest teachable moment in our house? Games night. Just being honest, games night. We tend to be a little competitive in our house. Surprise, surprise to many of you, right? Even my wife, she looks all smiley behind that cute little smile. She's, she's French, all right? There's a little fire in there, and it's competitive, and, and Zach inherited both of our competitiveness, and so, so Maya's the only one that didn't. She kind of balances. Everything's just fantastic to Maya. Like, yay, I lost! You're like, that doesn't make sense to me. 
Honestly, games don't have a good intention, but you know how games don't usually end at the teachable moment for somebody because in every game, like somebody gets mad and somebody else is cheating and I'm losing and then I have to go back and ask for forgiveness for getting mad. But isn't that the way it goes? And, and to stop and say, hey, what's really important? You have to apologize, apologize. You have to teach, teach. You're gonna do this again and you're gonna learn how to lose appropriately. We're gonna learn how to not trash talk when we're winning, Ruth. That dance of joy drives me crazy. <laughs> Dad's going to have to learn how to not get mad when he's losing. You don't want to quit. You know what I'm saying, though? They happen all the time. And if we're, we don't think of mission as when we leave the house and not when we come in the house, we're missing it. So who cares, honestly, if we save all of Niagara region we miss out on our families. Who cares if we save all of Niagara region? We miss out on loving God. It starts in the heart and it starts in the home. So serious was God about this. Look what he says. You can, you can apply this how you see fit in your home. You all have homes like mine, I tell myself. Teachable moments. Parents, you need to step up and, and take those teachable moments and actually lead your homes. You know what? I was going to say this. Your ultimate goal is to not be the best friend of your kid. Your ultimate goal is to raise your kid in the ways of the Lord. If you're best friends with your kid, awesome at the end of the day. Be a parent. So important to God that look at this. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. Like You shall write them with the Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Jewish people take this literally. Look at these pictures here. Jewish people take this literally. Phylacteries, and you know, they, they actually put them on their foreheads. Small leather box, and they put their Hebrew text on their foreheads as a reminder to keep the law at the forefront of their mind. Then they got the mezuzah. It's a little piece of parchment inscribed with specific verses from the Torah hammered onto their door frames. This guy's all proud of his. See that? But is that really what God's talking about here? You need to walk around with like a Word of God strapped to our forehead. To so believe this is what he's talking about. To so live this that, that it's etched in our minds. That our homes are set apart for the things of God. The authority of God, the word of God, and the ways of God govern our houses. It doesn't matter if you hammer a little piece of wooden scripture on your door frame. If it doesn't, nothing, nothing changes the way you live your life. That, that etch in our hearts, like you think of it, an etch, like a, 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 someone etching in into granite with a, inscribing in, chiseling in the, the, into granite or into marble, something like an inscription. Like, do that in the hearts of our kids. This is what God wants, to, to etch his, the reality of who he is and his ways and his, and his love for his people and his word in our hearts and in our heads so that everywhere we go, it's etched in there. This is what God wants for every Christian home. This is what our families were committing to this morning. This is what we all should be committing to. It's not just good for you guys, but we're gonna help you do that because it's so important for us. Greatest investment you can make is in your own personal relationship with God. Some of you, that's a bit of a reminder, a bit of a rebuke today. Maybe a big reminder, big rebuke. Some of you just coming to church on Sundays, investing your heart in loving God with all of your heart, soul, and might. It's where it starts. 
Second greatest investment in your family. In your family, guys, it's time to step up and lead. Moms, we're in there with them. Ultimately, we want to do what God wants. We want God's favor and blessing upon our lives, upon our homes, upon our kids. And it starts here. This is what's most important in our mission of Jesus Christ. Do these two things, and you know what's going to happen? The other mission is just going to take care of itself. It will. Get to the end of this life, and you're going to get an A, not an F, on that old spiritual report card. If you've never done this, you've got to start today. It's not because I think it's a good idea, because God says so. Determine today to cultivate a relationship with God through his word and prayer and take, te- take steps today to disciple your family the best way you know how. Are you going to be perfect at it? I'm not perfect at it. Don't ask my kids on the way out. They'll tell you. But take steps today to disciple your family the best way you know how, taking every opportunity to put the gospel deep in their hearts. If you're already fired up with this and you're doing it and, and, and you're feeling like a failure and it's just not going as well as you thought, just take this as encouragement. You just got to be faithful. God takes care of the fruit. You just got to be faithful. You got to fight this battle. You got to fight it until the day you die. It's not once the kids are out of the house from what I'm learning that it stops. In fact, it just gets harder as they get older. Just be faithful. Be faithful. Take encouragement that you're actually living out what God has said to do and so you'll find blessing and you'll find encouragement and hope in that. But just know this today. This is a, the foundation of mission. We miss this. We miss it all. We miss this. We miss it all. But we hit this. We hit exactly what God has for us in our lives. Let me pray that this would be a reality, not just a sermon. This would be a reality of of our hearts as we leave. Father, thank you for your word. Oh, sometimes it's so encouraging. Sometimes it's so convicting. I don't know what it has been for each person in this room today. If, if, if there's someone even in this room that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, would it start there, God? Would, they, would you help them see that you are God, that you love them, that you pursued them through Jesus Christ and what you want most in their lives is simply not for them to do all the right things and toe the right line, but you want them to love you in return. Oh God, would you help anyone here that doesn't know Jesus Christ see the full reality of God today and his massive love for them in Jesus Christ. And God, would you stir up within them a desire to know and to love God? For those in our church, Lord, that, that uh, maybe need to hear this, this reminder of point two of, of leading your homes, God, uh, I, I pray, Father, that you would help us do this, that you would give us a heart to truly love you first and foremost. But secondly, God, we just want to invest our lives in our homes, that we see mission as not leaving the house, but as we come into the house every night, uh, the most people we spend most time with are the ones that we really want to influence for Christ. God, would you give our men courage to step up in faith and to truly lead? Would you give our wives, Lord, the grace to allow their husbands to lead? but to also then join them in this great endeavor. God, would you cause our parents to be parents who pray for their kids and parents who steal the word of God in their kids and parents who teach their kids. And Lord, I pray for every kid that's represented here in this room. Father, I pray you'd help our kids know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior from an early age and that you'd protect them and keep them. God, we don't care if our kids are the next NHL star. We don't care if our kids are the one that solves the world hunger crisis. We care that our kids know you and love you. And so, God, would we be diligent with our part? And, God, would you do the rest? We ultimately can't save them. We need you to do it. Thank you for those this morning that were committing to this today. We pray for them. We pray for others. Help us in this, Lord. Oh, we need your help. We want your help, oh, God. Cause us to be a church filled with families that love you. And as other people see our families, they just see something different in our families, and that's the reality of Jesus Christ. 
Help our church to be a place where we support each other in this endeavor. Help us be a church that is faithful, God. Help us be a church faithful to your call. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. Amen.